Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Romina Betsin and Andrew Irving from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament produced at the community radio station 3CR. Today we will start with the news that this week the CICD and the Social Justice Movement has lost two of its highly regarded stalwarts, Gwen Godecki and Joe Goddard. Gwen Godecki passed away last Saturday, 14th May. Gwen had spent her life committed to the prevention of war through her work in the political and peace movement. Her motivation came from experiences in living through World War II and hearing her parents' story about World War I. She worked in a variety of jobs that gave her knowledge and information about strategies for peace work in the community. Gwen was active at the Victorian Peace Council, the Trade Union Clinic, the Union of Australian Women. Gwen campaigned for women's advancement, equal pay, better childcare and greater representation for women at all levels of government, particularly local government, for more than 50 years. Gwen's courage, compassion, strength and determination have inspired many. She deserves the recognition for her significant contribution to the status of women. Gwen's funeral was held yesterday, Saturday 21st May, at the Unitarian Church. The other long-time peace activist and trade union official was Joe Goddard. He passed away on Thursday 12th May. Joe's funeral was held on Friday 20th May. Joe Goddard had supported, endorsed CICD's campaigns, activities and donated to the CIC. The Liquor Trade Union was affiliated to CICD for many years, from when Jim Munro was secretary from 1963 to 1975, and when Joe Goddard was secretary from 1975 to 1991. CICD expresses its sincerest and most heartfelt condolences to Gwen's and Joe's families, friends and comrades. We would also like to mention the passing of Michael Ratner on the 11th of May, the long-time leader of the U.S. Centre for Constitutional Rights and former president of the National Lawyers Guild. Michael, through the legal traditions, had defended the defenceless against all odds. His tireless work on so many important cases left an unforgettable mark on a whole generation of attorneys and on the law itself. Fearless and bold, Michael cut his teeth defending Attica inmates against the state of New York and one of the last major cases he oversaw struck down the New York Police Department's draconian stop-and-frisk policing. In the intervening decades, his work touched the whole world with cases that targeted US-backed death squad governments. 
the Blackwater Mercenary Corporation, the war makers and torturers of the Bush administration and the extrajudicial assassination and drone warfare of the Obama administration. Significant to his legacy is the fact that he stood for the rights of Palestinians when few others would. In steering the monumental legal effort that fought on behalf of the Guantanamo detainees, he showed civil liberties, advocates and attorneys everywhere that it was right to fight on principle and against the tide of demonisation. Michael Ratner will be deeply missed. He has left a proud legacy of a crusader for justice. Asylum Seekers in Australia When we think of people without enough food to eat, we don't usually think of people in our own backyard. But in this country, 22,000 people seeking asylum will run out of food this month and cannot afford to buy more. Among the number are over 4,000 children. These people have little, if any, financial assistance and depending on where they are in the refugee detention process, they do not have the right to work. It is appalling that people seeking safety are going hungry on our watch, especially when they've really suffered such hardship to get here. Add to this the recent comments of Peter Dutton, the Minister for Immigration, who has slandered many in the migrant communities. He said they won't be numerate or literate. They would languish on unemployment. These people will be taking Australian jobs. This kind of blatant racism and stupidity must not have a place in our politics. President Obama to visit Hiroshima. The White House has announced that President Obama will visit Hiroshima on May the 27th this year, while he is in Japan for the G7 summit. He will be the first sitting US president to visit the city since its destruction by an American nuclear weapon in 1945. The White House is advertising this visit as a sign of the president's continued commitment to the elimination of nuclear weapons worldwide. It is significant that President Obama will visit Hiroshima as the first US president, which many bomb survivors have long called for. He should look with his own eyes at the inhumane consequences of the use of the A-bomb by visiting the Peace Memorial Museum. Listen to the voices of the Habakusha and act on their wishes without delay. The United States continues to rely heavily on nuclear weapons and it's planning to spend at least $1 trillion over the next 30 years to modernise all aspects of its nuclear arsenal, including the warheads, submarines, missiles, bombers, production facilities, command and control infrastructure. Keeping nuclear weapons on hair-trigger alert is an outdated and irresponsible policy left over from the Cold War. It has no place in any country's modern foreign policy because it puts the entire world at risk of an accidental nuclear launch. This is the President's opportunity to leave a proud anti-weapons of mass destruction legacy, one that will make us all safer and keep future generations from living under the threat of nuclear annihilation. 
removing the US nuclear arsenal from high alert status and encouraging all other nuclear armed nations to do the same. The question is whether the President will change his position and turn his back on the total prohibition of nuclear weapons on the grounds of the need for a nuclear deterrence. President Obama should take concrete steps for the start of negotiations for a treaty banning nuclear weapons. Obama grants Henry Kissinger a Distinguished Public Service Award. Recently, the Secretary of Defense, Ashton Carter, honored Henry Kissinger at the Pentagon by presenting the former Secretary of State with the Distinguished Public Service Award, apparently the highest award the Department of Defense has for private citizens. The award for the man who is responsible, directly or indirectly, for the deaths of millions of people in Southeast Asia, East Timor, Bangladesh and Southern Africa, amongst other places. Kissinger caused many misery around the world during his long run in public office from 1969 to 1977. Even his biographer, Niall Ferguson, wrote that Kissinger is a criminal but rather mitigates the crimes by comparing them to other crimes. Of course, the White House should be honouring Kissinger since it runs its endless war by Kissinger's rules. The right to bomb neutral countries that the United States isn't at war with in the name of national security is now unquestionably accepted across the foreign policy spectrum. Regime change in Latin America. A Russian diplomatic call to outlaw the US-sponsored policy of regime change is appropriate considering recent events in Latin America. The developments there are now routinely described as institutional coup d'etat, with popular presidents removed from power and replaced by corrupt neoliberal bureaucrats, enjoying the enthusiastic support of the U.S. government and American financial capital. What we see in the world now is an attempt by the so-called historic West to preserve its dominance in international affairs. Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov said at the Conference on Latin American Developments held in Moscow that Latin America is not an exception to this global trend. We see attempts by the United States to interfere directly into the internal affairs of countries in the region, such as Argentina, Brazil and Venezuela, which are the most recent high-profile examples. Last week, Brazil's leftist president Dilma Rousseff was removed from power by a very unpopular group of senators, despite being elected by the votes of 54 million Brazilian citizens who expressed their will only a year and a half ago. Rousseff was removed because she was accused of corruption. However, even the mainstream media in the United States did not consider these accusations to be well 
well-founded. The New York Times, on the eve of Rousseff's ousting, called accusations against her debatable and added that Miss Rousseff is right to question the motives and morale authority of the politicians who were seeking to overthrow her. In 2014 and 15, a similar campaign of personal attacks and character assassination also took place in Argentina against that country's leftist president, Cristina Fernandez de Krishna. In both cases, the U.S. preferred candidates somehow managed to get to power, posing as the only viable alternatives to the ousted women leaders. In Brazil, the former vice president, Michael Temer, took the reins of power without elections. Mr. Temer, whose popularity in Brazil is in single digits, has already started shifting the Brazil's foreign policy. That shift is to move Brazil closer to the United States. New Argentinian president Mauricio Macri also did not seem to be keen on following Cristina Fernandez's policy of discovering new prospects for Argentina in China and Russia. In Venezuela, the situation is even clearer. The U.S. makes no secret of its support for the anti-Shavitsa opposition to President Nicolas Maduro, the successor to leftist leader Hugo Chavez. The American media gives full support to anti-Shavitsa opposition, despite its role in violent street protests, which have claimed the lives of several dozen people. The U.S. policy of support for violent protests is inexcusable, since Venezuela is not a dictatorship. The Venezuelan government suggested dialogue with the government of the United States. They wanted a compromise, but Washington simply has no policy towards Latin America except the so-called regime change. But why is Russia concerned with U.S. pressure on Latin American countries? Seemingly, Moscow's economic interests are not focused on that region. The share of Latin American countries in Russia's foreign trade, with the notable exception of Venezuela, remains relatively small. But the point is that in recent years it became absolutely clear to Russian diplomats that the policy of regime change in Latin America, Syria, Ukraine and last but not least Russia itself. And the same technology is being used for the purpose. Therefore, the events in Brazil may have a direct impact on the developments in Russia. Lavrov said these Western leaders openly said that sanctions should be applied in a way that would cripple Russia's economy and lead to popular protests. So the West is sending us a message. We don't even want to change the policy of the Russian Federation. We want to change the Russian Federation's regime. In fact, they are not even denying it. How far will Russia go in its support for independence of Latin American countries? Who and how can shield them from the policy of regime change conducted by their powerful northern neighbors? Obviously, Lavrov is not under the illusion Russian can guarantee such independence alone. The 69th Geneva Assembly of the United Nations in 2014, the Russian foreign minister suggested making a special 
UN declaration on the inadmissibility of the policy of regime change and on non-recognition of coups as method of changing state power. At the time, the Brazilian leader Dilma Rousseff did not openly support Lavrov's suggestion, even though she was present at the UN General Assembly. Rousseff might regret not taking the opportunity to act against regime change then. Now it appears to be too late for her and most likely for Brazil. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Alternative News brought to you from the community radio station 3CR. I'm Romina Betsin and Andrew Irving. Looking forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.